difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it's shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Tasha Robinson, here again with... Keith Phipps. Genevieve Kosky. And Scott Tobias. Last week, we discussed Before Sunrise, Richard Linklater's walk-and-talk movie featuring two 20-something white tourists wandering Vienna and falling for each other. This week, we're looking at a version of that same story for a different era of filmmaking and a different era of romance. Rain Allen Miller's directorial debut and Sundance hit Rye Lane follows two young Black Londoners who meet at the art exhibit of a mutual friend and almost accidentally wind up spending the day together. Yaz, played by Vivian Opara, is a wannabe costume designer with a big personality and secret self-esteem issues. Dom, played by David Johnson, is a shy accountant with more inner conviction than might immediately be obvious when we meet him sitting on a toilet at that art gallery, weeping over the woman who dumped him three months earlier. Much like Before Sunrise, Rye Lane is the story of two very attractive young people who find a little spark in each other's presence and then don't want to let the moment go. Like Jesse and Celine, Dom and Yaz circle each other, debating what to reveal and how to present themselves, each letting the other in a little further as the story unfolds. There's one major difference here. They live in the same city, so they don't have the same outside deadline hanging over their relationship. The threat comes from a different source in this case, one that's maybe a little less romanticized and a little more relatable. We'll get into it after this. It's Dom, right? I'm Yaz. That's me. Gonna meet my ex for the first time since the breakup. And you're still calling it the breakup? I thought we were fine. We were better than fine. We moved in together. We had Hamilton tickets. <laughs> it's a serious commitment. Right? So, what happened? She cheated on me with my best friend. You cheated on Tom? With him? Oh, that hurts a little bit. I mean, I get it. The arms are nice, but why do you even talk about it? Are you just going to sit there and say that to me? Well, she said my arms are nice. I went through the same sort of thing not too long ago. She was his life coach. Apparently, she opened his mind. I mean, her legs. All of her underwear looks like this. Seriously, you'd have to sew, like, 15 of these together to get the pants I'm wearing right now. The worst part, I left my favorite record at his place. Let's go find a record shop right now and I'll buy you a new copy. But I don't want a new copy. I want my copy. So let's talk about Raya Lane. What did everybody think? I mean, I saw it at quote unquote at Sundance. I covered it remotely and I was like, so charmed by it and really, you know, really, really just uh, went over by it. Um, it was pretty, I mean, I saw some nice and some cool things at, at Sundance, but uh, this is a real standout out for me. Yeah. Uh, I, think uh charming is uh the go-to uh description here i did really enjoy this film i will say i kind of wish i had experienced it outside of this Mm -hmm. pairing um (laughs) because i think it was you know the things that struck me about it struck me in the way that they contrasted with uh before sunrise like there's a lot more i guess incident in this uh film and definitely a much flashier visual style neither of which is a problem but i was primed for a certain type of movie and then this wasn't exactly that type of movie it maybe like threw me off balance a, a little bit and I think maybe kept me from enjoying it as fully as I would have if I had just enjoyed it maybe at Sundance or, or just on its own, you know? 
that said, I really love these two performances, these two performers. I do like the fact that it kind of like pushes the envelope a little visually and, you know, is trying to be exciting uh, on a like filmmaking level. I think it doesn't always play uh, as, as well as it could, but I certainly like respect and, and enjoy the effort. And uh, yeah, I think by the end of this film, I was maybe getting a little frustrated at its inability to like kind of calm down <laughs> and just like kind of be in the moment a little more. The sort of, you know, final caper or whatever uh, felt a little tortured, or, you know, but again, like a very, very minor complaint in the overall uh, enjoyment of, the, of this movie. Jennifer Koski, what is this world coming to when uh, a a romantic, a grand romantic gesture uh, gives me the heart flutters and makes you feel cynical? <laughs> I mean, well, so the final grand romantic gesture, are you talking about the boat? I'm all about the, the waving on the boat part. I, I mean, the breaking into the apartment, hiding oh. in the closet, uh, trying on panties element, <laughs> which it was where it felt like it was getting maybe a little, uh, just a skosh try hard. But it, it definitely redeems itself in the final like grand gesture. I really did enjoy that. I, I get that. I I, th- I feel like that's that's a, um. I don't I don't dislike the scene, but also like you become increasingly aware that these are the only two real people in this universe, and everyone else is, <laughs> everyone else is uh, cartoon characters. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And you know, these two are definitely not cartoon characters. It is extremely normal and very relatable to break into your ex's apartment and try on his new girlfriend's <laughs> panties over your pants. Uh, and then complain about them being too small. I like I, I I've done that. I got so many times at this point. I I completely lose track. I think it's more of a second date kind of thing, in my opinion. But you do you. <laughs> now on the second date, I make th- him try on the panties. <laughs> how, how do you th- justify under any circumstances throwing the low end theory on vinyl in the trash? That's, that's my <laughs> comment on this film. Um, I think I found this a lot less charming than everyone else. Did, <laughs> I, I knew I'm you afraid. would, Scott. I knew I, I saw uh, I saw saw this coming. <laughs> it's fair. Yeah, I just it, it's it's kind of a rom. It's a rom com. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's and it's got a lot of rom com bullshit in it. And I, and, and I think this. Wow. I think, I think I, no. I mean, it's a good. It's good for what it is. It is good for what it is. But it's like it's often frustrating that it does not keep it real <laughs> a lot of the time that it is full of nonsense. And uh, I, I always felt like romantic comedies, you know, particularly of the modern s- sense have, are, are almost like set up all these barriers to keep people from actually saying, talking to each other in a real way. And, you know, and, and there's a lot of like phony kind of like incidents that are just, you know, in, in zany events here that kind of like, erect those barriers that keep us from getting to know these characters a little bit more and feeling for them a little bit more. I sound like I did really dislike the film and I, I don't, I, I think, I think for what it is, it does have a nice energy to it. It almost reminded me a little bit of Tangerine in certain oh, yeah, respects. Sure. The, the speed of it, you know, and the energy and the color, its sense of place is really nice. The performances are very appealing. I mean, there's a lot of, again, for what it is, it is quite good, but it, it also strikes a lot of notes that struck that are, were false to me and I and and made me feel like I wasn't going to get you know access to these characters as as more complete people and it, it almost it almost just happens from the beginning which is like okay we're just going to do a meet cute in a unisex bathroom and that's kind of like that's a rom-com meet cute and we're going to kind of go from there so it, it is as Genevieve said it's tough to have this the, these two films 
pair together in that sense because they do strike such a different tone and it's kind of unfair to Rye Lane which I think is just trying for something different even if it does feel a little, even if it is like before sunrise in certain you know obvious ways so that's kind of where I'm at on Rye Lane. I mean, I certainly can't blame you for not feeling, not connecting with a rom-com because I normally have kind of a hard time connecting with rom-coms except in the most uh, surfacey kind of way. But I will say that like in your average modern rom-com, the barriers that are set up between the two people who obviously need to get together and that the only point of the movie is to get them together feel very external and artificial. There's just, there's always like... I've come under an ancient mummy's curse. And if I ever tell the truth to <laughs> yeah, a man I'm attracted to, I'll turn into a zebra. <laughs> uh-huh. Or I yeah. just swore on my mother's grave that I would never date a woman wearing green. And then I met the, the woman that I should fall for, but she was wearing green. You know, very, very And I'm writing a magazine article about <laughs> and it. I'm, and I'm busy writing a magazine article about it. And I'll look <laughs> yeah. like a hypocrite. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Freddie Prince Jr. Movie. started that movie. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but here, the barriers that are between the two of them ending together ending up together are barriers that they throw up themselves you know there are the the two main barriers to them getting together are their romantic histories and their distrust of other people and and sort of the degree that they're clinging to the past and the deceptions that they throw out because they want you know they each want to be seen by the other in a certain way in a certain light and both of those just strike me as so much more realistic and relatable than most rom-com contrivances these days you're speaking i think mostly i mean i think the the big illustrative example here is yaz's sort of lie i guess at the beginning beginning that she was the dumper rather than the dumpy and there's something you know and i think there's something interesting to that idea about how we present ourselves. I mean, every, you know, first dates or first encounters uh, have a tendency to be auditions, you know, where we get to kind of, you know, sometimes, just you know, not only just put our best self forward or what we think is our best, most appealing self forward, but maybe even reimagine ourselves and rewrite our own histories a little bit. And, you know, again, I I think that that's a, that is an interesting idea that I, that the film has too much stuff to kind of land as well as it should it feels like a ploy that gets when that's that reveal doesn't land the way it's supposed to because the rest of the film doesn't have that level the level of sincerity that i think it should so i I mean if i if i'm hearing you right it's uh it's quirky and you don't like quirky which is like just a a (laughs) long-standing i mean just like i don't believe like like all of these like you know i think about that I really hated the scene where Dom meets with his ex and his best friend because, I mean, those characters really didn't feel real to me. It didn't feel like they could have possibly had a relationship that that lasted as long as it did. And it it doesn't seem like Dom could ever be friends with this guy who doesn't seem like him in any way, shape or form. And it's just like, you know, and then and then she comes in and does what she does. All of that, none of that felt real at all. And it's just, I, I, that was, that, it, it's too much of that in this movie for me. It's just like, it, you know, just too much of like going for a sort of the colorful, bright, you know, quirky, cartoonish laugh and sort of vibe. And, and you know, I think just whiffing when it comes to like, you know, real emotion. You know, I, I, I do, I do believe the emotions between these two characters, though. I, I do feel like, I think to me, that's, that is like, 
the center of the movie and like I kind of suggested before, they're 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 in a, they're real people in a cartoon world, and but I do believe the realness between the two of them, and uh, you know, I, I I there's there's moments, you know, that chemistry and a couple of moments like the the scene, the karaoke scene, uh, like you know, at that point, you know, they can just coast. I I, I love I love that scene. <laughs> you know, like a really, uh, they were just it's just so fun watching them perform together. Uh, you know, and and the kind of uh, like wherever you go from here, I'm 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 pretty much on board with this movie. And I mean, to give it the benefit of the doubt, as far as what you're speaking to, Scott, I, th- I think there is maybe an attempt here to to sort of acknowledge the artifice uh, in uh, that comes with a, a new relationship and just kind of with existing in the world in, in 2023 when this movie comes out. Like, this is a movie that is very much tied to its era, uh, to call back to our last uh, conversation and the sort of timeless feel of Before Sunrise. Like, this feels like very much an of the moment movie and it feels kind of very aware of the idea that we are all sort of presenting ourselves to the world and to the people in it in uh, a way we want to be seen and its filmmaking style kind of follows suit with these sort of highly theatrical vignettes uh you know giving us a version of events and i think the film is like kind of attempting to dig beneath that to find like the real connection between them. And I don't think it gets there fully satisfactorily, but kind of like, you know, it it, it goes through the motions. And I think like on a, you know, ba- a basic rom-com level, it, it gets there. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like feel it extremely deeply, but I like, I was like, okay, you know, B plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I can see that. I mean, I think I, for, you know, for what, I mean, it's so condescending to say, "Oh, for what it is, it works." But it kind of, for what it is, it works. I mean, and that the, the, these are, if we are to see this as kind of a, you know, a modern rom com, it is a, it, it's a very good version of that in a lot of different ways. I mean, it is it, because of the style of it, the, the humor of it, because of the appeal of these two actors and the characters that they're playing. Th- there are a lot of things sort of to recommend. So, so it's almost kind of like an allergy a pre-existing allergy that i have to this approach to romantic films that is keeping me from uh, embracing the film as well as i sh- might because i because it is a, a pretty solid example of you know uh, you know a rom-com that is done smartly and in well in a lot of respects so scarcity hasn't warmed you to the genre you know you know now there are basically are no romantic comedies except- i know well i did i've seen the i've seen the I, I i saw marry me and i saw ticket to paradise i've seen the ones that have have trickled out mm-hmm. i mean it's better than those i mean it <laughs> is sure. it's definitely working within the parameters of a rom-com which is formulaic and it's as far as the uh you know, for what it is value, I guess we should also note that this movie is 82 minutes long. So it's mm-hmm. it's quite brisk and it's quite light by design, uh, I would say, which maybe doesn't give it as much time to to dig into like deep authenticity and, and more authentic emotion. But what it does that I think I liked maybe more than certainly more than Scott and maybe more than the rest of you is a lot of the little stylistic flourishes that are going on in this movie uh, from a directorial standpoint are just very clearly about 
exploring a kind of subjectivity of experience. You know, there's, there's a bunch of like walking around the neighborhood that's visualized through a curved lens. So it kind of feels like the entire neighborhood is just a big single round spool that just keeps unspooling and unspooling identical doors. It, it almost feels like they're walking around the edges of a carousel at times. There's a moment where Yaz is telling Dom a story and he's visualizing his reaction through a very CG uh, experience where there's like a hundred identical versions of him in a movie theater, uh, booing and cheering and uh, like jumping up and down and and making hooray uh, gestures where he's just kind of like his inner life is imagining himself as like a full stage audience experiencing this moment of hearing this story. There are times that the camera like dives in and and does like a fisheye lens thing to capture somebody's expression or everything radically changes color. And I just I think that we're experiencing a very subjective version of reality. So the fact that, for instance, uh, his ex is an an awful cartoon and the best friend that she cheated on him with is an even more ridiculous cartoon didn't strike me as inauthentic. It struck me as just a specific point of view. You know, from an outsider's perspective, she's kind of preening and vile and awful and self-satisfied, and he's kind of a big doofus. And the movie exaggerates these like you're you're calling it a cartoon in a bad way. I'm kind of calling it a cartoon in a good way, you know, in a in a what's up, doc kind of way. And I can okay. see where that would be a barrier to to feeling authentic emotion. And I certainly don't think that this is like a carefully observed exploration of the human psyche or anything like that. But I found all the stylization fun and just engaging, but I also found it very purposeful in terms of kind of turning the, the brightness and the, the coloration and the almost absurdity of aspects of the rom-com formula into kind of an in-joke that we're sharing with uh, the filmmaker and almost with the characters. I agree that they, I like those flourishes when they are purposeful. I don't necessarily agree that they are all purposeful. (laughs) I think that there is, you know, kind of maybe a a, a range of success as far as those go. uh, One that I do want to touch on, and Keith, you already kind of briefly did, but sort of the the twin karaoke scenes, the uh, version we get of them telling the story nested within that scene that you hate, Scott, of them (laughs) with, uh, (laughs) with, with, the ex and, and the best friend but then like later in the film a very pivotal moment in the film i think is the sort of the recreation of that scene in reality you know it starts out feeling like a, a very de-stylized version of what they presented in, in that opening scene but then it, it builds and so you do feel the the emotion of that moment in a way that is like kind of directly tied to how these twin scenes are are presented. Yeah, um, I think the reality is better than the fantasy. I think and that's kind yeah, of part exactly, of what makes exactly. Yeah, and karaoke I, always works in movies too. You know, it's like <laughs> I remember that movie duets. Do you ever see that movie duets? I didn't see that one. Uh, no one knows anything about that film, but but it has like it has one incredible scene where you know Paul Giamatti sing uh, does a uh, karaoke version of "Hello, It's Me," the Todd Rundgren song. It's just like so 
beautiful and moving and it's like man karaoke kind of works a lot of times in, <laughs> in, in movies um, i mean it's very was, vulnerable you, you know and yeah, I, I, like right. that's especially like i think in a rom-com it you know it's it's very effective in sort of stripping away that that artifice that we were talking about with these characters and kind of forcing that cliche of all of having the microphone feedback it's, like, <laughs> it's got to be retired it's just like I, I, maybe they have that built in for a particular awkward <laughs> karaoke bar when when they were really not feeling it they just you know there's so, someone behind the scenes just amplifies the uh <laughs> feedback on the microphone to make it seem all the more awkward <laughs> I, I mean in in this instance what I thought was a more effective uh, way t- that it did that is because the song they're singing is Shoop. And the <laughs> when he's like very awkwardly at the beginning uh, attempting to, to sing it or rap it, and he says, girls, what's my weakness? And just one person in the audience, like men. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> the, the most <laughs> desultory response to that call and response. Uh, it's quite funny to me. But so because like that, those like paired scenes of like the fantasy and the reality were so effective in that case i was kind of hoping to have something similar happen with the scene in yaz's ex's apartment and sort of the revelation of what really happened between them to kind of bookend the theatrical presentation uh she gives uh dom at at the beginning that didn't really happen which was I, I guess disappointing like I'm not gonna sit here and tell the movie what it should have done but I feel like as far as like using these like flourishes with purpose you know that's a maybe a missed opportunity I don't know I kind of liked the the flatness of her telling the truthful version and that's and us not seeing yeah. a, a hyper stylized vis- visualization of it compared to kind of like the black light effects of the the whole hummus sequence which is you know a, a pretty a pretty fun fantasy in its way in terms of showing her theatricality which i like i kind of touched on this in my little uh you know two paragraph intro but one of the things i think is most interesting about this movie is the way she's presented as this almost a, a manic pixie dream girl like she really does kind mm-hmm. of swoop out of nowhere to make this sad man happier by devoting her her temporary existence to him and to, to fixing his sad boy problems but we pretty quickly find out that below that surface like not only does she have her own past and her own goals and her own feelings she's pretty insecure and he comes across as you know shy and awkward and not knowing what to do but he's the one towards the end that has has standards and has the strength of character to declare what he wants and and follow up on it and I also just really enjoy the kind of montage of after they part ways like the rom-com would have them you know want him running after her on a train or something like that you know this instead acknowledges that sometimes you think a great thing is happening sometimes you think you've really made a connection with somebody and then it goes nowhere and the the fact that we end up kind of in that montage of and then a whole lot of time passes, uh, I think is just a really interesting way to tell that story. But you still get the grand romantic gesture at the end. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't like a great romantic gesture? The, the most romantic wave. Ever. Wait, uh, <laughs> but before uh, closing this, just because I, I 
don't really foresee us uh, getting into it in, in connections. Uh, I, I feel like we just have to acknowledge and then let pass the Colin Firth cameo. <laughs> and the- I thought of you during the Colin Firth cameo. Uh, because we used to have a, a running argument back at the AV Club about uh, who was more dapper, Clive Owen or Colin Firth. And as I recall, you you stumped for Colin. Yeah, that was also like 15 years ago, and he wasn't like running a tortilla stand. In <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Clive, you know? Clive Owen has, is also not what he used to be either. It's It's been yeah. interesting how uh, both of those men have aged and how seeing Colin Firth uh, on the screen in this role reminded me of my own aging. You know, we're, we're none of us exactly what we used to be 15 years ago. Can we at least also acknowledge the name of the uh, taco stand? Please remind me what it was because I know it's a love actually pun, but love, I can't. I didn't write it down. Love guacholi. Oh god! Oh, it's so much worse than I remembered. <laughs> uh, yes. So the confirmed. This film knows it's a rom com. Yeah, and but it also. I mean, it, it does. It does play around with the parameters a little. I I really enjoy the um, the whole business where she wants to order him spicy food and you know he wants it extra mild, <laughs> and then later you know for her he goes back and he tries the spicy food and like. We know what that formula is. He he finds out it's his favorite thing ever, and he he just really needed to kind of like break out of his mold and his timidity. And she brought new things into his life. No, no, he hates it. He has to spit it up. It burns his <laughs> mouth. He, he absolutely loathes it. And uh, you know, I gotta I gotta respect uh, a rom com that says, you know, get your get out there and try new things. Oh wait, no, that's a terrible idea. Screw that. <laughs> also, don't buy your friend's art. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, uh, you know, I think I got tired of looking at the the mouth photos, but some of the butts looked okay. <laughs> oh boy, that that really really saggy one. That's, that's not what I was thinking. Yeah, but, uh, you don't want to hang that over your fireplace. <laughs> there were some. That was more. That was more of an installation, wasn't it? <laughs> there was there was the moving installation. Is that what, is that what you call it? <laughs> There was the moving installation that you could sort of glimpse behind the butt if you were looking. But uh, you know you know what has a lot of uh, photographs of, of really hairy butts uh, before sunrise. So uh, let's, let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about all the, the many, many connections between Surratt's line of, of butt art and the, uh, the butt art in Rye Lane. So what did you do now? You've escaped the clutches of the colonel? Like, with your post-KFC life? Oh, I'm an accountant. Boring! Okay. No free popcorn chicken, but still, that's like a proper job. <laughs> yeah, it's not particularly glamorous. No. I actually kind of love it. So is that what you've always wanted to do? Have you got yourself some thwarted ambition burning away in your gut? You know you're very... Peng? Refreshingly disarming. You ask a lot of questions. I'm interested in people's messes. What makes you think I've got a mess? Everyone has a mess. Hi. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> you know, I... I think I did always want to be an accountant. Is that... Is that weird? Don't ask me. I wanted to be Prince when I was little. Specifically, Purple Rain Prince. Now it's time for Connections, when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. Uh, Keith, you want to kick us off? We we want to talk about one of the uh, most obvious connections here, which is these movies are very different, but they're doing one thing uh, really the same in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, you kind of touch on one key, you know, compare and contrast point here, which is, you know, Vienna is, is unfamiliar to both of our heroes in Before Sunrise. Um, uh, so, uh, so Celine has been there, but it's been a long time. It's not like a city she knows intimately, and, and Jesse's never been there at all. Whereas Rylane is set in the neighborhoods of uh, Peckham and Brixton, which are both South London uh, neighborhoods, but our, our characters live there. They're, that's the they know these places very well. Peckham and Brixton are presented as very contemporary, very sort of, you know, of the moment, vibrant places where things are happening. You don't necessarily get a lot of dwelling on the the history, the, you know, the long history of these places, which which is there. You get the feeling of you, you, they dwell on the film draws on, you know, why it's cool to be there now why it's a it's a it's a it's a changing place with a multicultural neighborhood and and you know uh, everything from uh pictures in the backyard of of lenders of west indian descent and the tacos and and there's people doing yoga in the parks and, and, and dogs and kids and it's just it looks like a great place you know vienna is 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 you know a little more it's romantic it's a little forbidding uh, it, it's a little more you know there's they're not sure what they're doing there's there's odd things they fumble through you know the kind of fumble through the city and find odd things around every corner from fortune tellers to belly dancers uh so i, I think they're they're you know as for as similar as they are it's like it's very much like walking and talking movies uh they're walking and talking in very different situations but both of the situations are just kind of like all about letting us see the inner workings of these places like one of the one set of characters is coming to it as as outsiders and tourists who don't really engage with the locals and the other are the locals and, you know, know people locally and have have friends and have connections. But either way, I feel like we're tourists in both cases. We're kind of tourists along with Jesse and, and Celine. We're more tourists observing Dom and, and Yaz. But in both cases, there's just sort of a sense of there's so much like of the, the richness of the setting baked into all of the different places that they, they go and, and see. It, Scott was comparing this to Tangerine earlier, and I think that part of that is just because of the kind of like jazzy, nervous energy of it. And part of it is just kind of the, the cultural specificity. And part of it is the cinematography, which is very, you know, feels like somebody following these people around with a phone. But one of the one of the other aspects of that is just, you know, Tangerine is another scene movie. It's another like here's a very specific subculture that you're just kind of getting dropped into the middle of almost certainly as a tourist to it, as, as somebody not familiar with it. And I, like I, I kind of liked being shown around Rye Lane by the locals more than I liked being immersed in before sunrise with a couple of other tourists looking at all of this like, you know, cold and alien architecture or people speaking languages I don't speak, having conversations I don't understand. There, there's a hominess to Rye Lane that I uh, appreciated maybe a little more as a, uh, a cinematic tourist. Quick point of order uh, regarding Rye Lane, which is that uh, this specific neighborhood, uh, Dom doesn't live th there. He lives in a different part of London. There's mm. a kind of an exchange of, uh, about, you know, sort of a, a faux deadline placed on their interaction and that, you know, he, he doesn't want to have to take the night bus home or God forbid Uber back, you know, like they live in the same city, but different enough parts of it that you know it, it, it is a trek for him to get home oh yeah fair uh, enough yeah yeah which i really like that like having lived in 
a very geographically large city like it the you know it can feel like an entirely different place if it takes you an hour to get to the other end of it so but also in the case of this pairing it does kind of put yaz in a greater position of comfort with the setting that is similar to Celine's level of comfort in Vienna compared to Jesse's. You know, like it is, she doesn't know the city well, but she can get by a lot more easily than than Jesse can on, you know, with her her limited German and just sort of a, you know, general Euro sensibility, I guess, you know. So um in both cases, the the woman is uh, a slightly more in the tour guide role than than the man in this pairing. It, well, it's a comfortable place. I mean, the the fact that um, in Rye Lane that that Yaz is knows that terrain. It it, it almost it, it helps this. It helps kind of enforce this dynamic between them, where she's sort of like taking him for a ride. It reminds me of like something wild in that respect, mm-hmm. right? Of just like of Je- Jeff Dan- when Jeff Daniels is just sort of like. A buttoned up guy who's just kind of completely taken a- away by somebody who- who's exciting and unfamiliar and who is who kind of seizes control of their the dynamic between them and in the neighborhood in, in dom's unfamiliarity with the neighborhood and he has familiarity with the neighborhood reinforces that dynamic that said he doesn't feel like an alien there like he's not benny in rent you know the the rich guy who's slumming it when he comes back to this poor neighborhood that he can't relate to anymore there's just not a sense that he's that much of an outsider like i, I agree that yaz is more familiar and boy especially when they go back to her ex's family's house and she's dealing with people who openly have a fondness for her and respect her and want her there versus the way they look at Dom, assuming that he's the new boyfriend that has replaced their son. And, uh, you know, they they treat him like garbage and he doesn't really quite know how to, to navigate. Like in that place, he's a real fish out of water. But like at the art gallery, he doesn't seem any more out of place than she is. Like on the streets, mm-hmm. he doesn't seem, you know, confused or overwhelmed. Uh, maybe he's less used to eating at uh, burrito stands and more used to eating at extremely mild steakhouses. I don't know. But I don't get the feeling that she's like taking him on a tour of it doesn't feel like an what uh, our friend Noel Murray used to call the into the night movies uh, something wild being a, a big one of those where somebody is like taken out of their in an eyes wide shut kind of way like taken out of their suburban comfort into the the wilds of the urban night and uh, they you know don't really know what's going on because they don't belong there like I don't get that sense out of Dom no I mean, Dom does just seem like a person who is maybe generally less comfortable in the world yeah, for than, sure. uh, yeah. than, than Yaz, uh, which like I appreciated that about his characterization, especially like in contrast to to Jesse, say, you know, like seeing him being not really even brought out of his shell, but just like kind of maybe made to acknowledge his own ways in which he has like limited himself, you know, and and her kind of uh, drawing him out of that was an interesting part of their relationship. And, you know, uh, played out, again, minorly in the setting as far as like their their relative comfort in it. Uh, Genevieve, you had a, a point to make about art in these two movies and human <laughs> communication kind of jumping off the point that you had made about the exact same thing with uh, Before Sunrise. 
Yeah, I mean, originally we were just going to kind of talk about the twin musical interludes in in these two films, both of which we kind of dug into in our respective discussions of them, the the listening booth scene in Before Sunrise and the karaoke scene in, in Rye Lane. But, you know, as I was thinking about it, it's like both of these films spend kind of a lot of time on other forms of human expression other than one-on-one conversation, which is what they're ostensibly built around. But, you know, as mentioned in Before Sunrise, you know, there's art, there's poetry, there's belly dancing. And then in Rylane, you know, they meet at an art exhibit. Uh, the quality of that art, you know, is, is uh, you know, it can be, can be left up for, for debate. But, you know, it is the where both the the relationship begins and kind of reaches its next level. Am I, am I missing other kind of big examples in Rylane of this kind of thing happening? Well, I, I think there's all, tai also, <laughs> also music wise that I, I mean, they, they, they both at least understand uh, the low end theory uh, by oh, right, of course. Need, need, yes. need, needs is important, important and one. cannot be yeah. in the hand of hands of someone who does not appreciate uh, the, the greatness of that record. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the missions they take together. So it's, so it's meaningful. And totally. It's meaningful yeah. In that it's way, a really yeah. good point. And it, yeah, it's, it's notable that Dom like wears headphones, the entirety of this movie of, around his neck and very rarely actually like, listens to music but it's just sort of this reminder of the fact that it is you know a a passion that they share or or not even i don't even know if it's that deep but it's just like a reminder of something that they connect over it's also kind of a symbol of his timidness his shyness i mean i think Mm, that people where people who who have headphones around their neck can often put them on and cut and shut everyone else out Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a nice it's like a safety blanket I think it's maybe significant that both of these films also have sequences of people experiencing a disconnect over not reacting the same way to art. You know, there's in uh, Before Sunrise, it's the two reactions to the poem. Uh, Celine is moved by it and uh, Jesse is immediately cynical about it and wants to deconstruct it and kind of insult the creator. And Dom ends up in that backyard uh, barbecue, kind of at odds, both with the the pretense of what kind of music he listens to and the actuality of what his shuffle reveals about what he listens to, <laughs> and just kind of at odds with, uh, you know, people who are listening to a very different kind of music than not that he pretends to like, but that, again, his, his shuffle suggests that he likes. So, and then there's that supremely uh, odd an interesting and kind of fun sing-along sequence where it feels like maybe there is potentially a connection there between two people who like the same song, but they like it in such profoundly different ways that they're still not connecting through it. And it becomes this very like awkward, I don't know what to do moment. So I, yeah, I, I mean, I think both of these movies in, are less interested in how different reactions to art can disconnect people, but that they're both acknowledging it kind of as a side note off the edge of all of these elements about how art connects people. Well, I mean, do, can, can we start with the, uh, we're not even starting with this, but can we get to the basic 
dynamic of both of these movies, which is that these characters are kind of just getting to—it's they're talking. I mean, they're they're, they're they're getting to know each other mostly through conversation. That we did talk about, you know, some of the physical, nonverbal aspects, particularly of of before sunrise. I don't know if we do we get a lot here of that of of just kind of like physical cues, physical. You know, uh, it, 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 does it does it have as much of an effect here as it does in Before Sunrise? It's kind of it's kind of their kind of like kind of their nonverbal vibe. Think about Yaz looking under the toilet stall to observe Dom's pink shoes, and then kind of avoiding, uh, like looking at him or looking at the shoes later, and then eventually kind of pointedly looking at the shoes and and him figuring out who she is. There is still, you know, even if it's there isn't the same kind of eye dance. There's definitely the same kind of like recognition slash avoidance. She knows something that she knows he would prefer that he not know. And she doesn't want to bring it up. And then it becomes a weapon and she does bring it up. You know, there's, there's still that same kind of uh, awareness of each other. And I think there's a, a similar sort of physical awareness of each other whenever they stop, you know, they, they're most comfortable in the early going when they're in that park on the teeter totter because they're a very fixed mm-hmm. distance away from each other and they know exactly what to do with their bodies. And there's a very playful thing that they can do. But when they're like standing near each other, they they definitely go to that place of, I'm not sure where to put my hands or my eyes. Mm. Though I will say, you know, the, I mean, that's the, the strength uh, for, for me, the, all the, the, so the best stuff in Rye Lane is, is stuff that you connect with before sunrise which is just talk which is just the two of them talking and connecting and and you know not having to in with riley's case deal with a lot of like the colorful characters and situations that kind of end up swirling around them if you can just kind of get to the the core of the thing you know the core of this relationship the core of these characters and how they're feeling and how they feel about themselves and about about love relationships and you know where, where they're at in their lives i mean like it, it, when you really get into dig into that stuff and you really kind of experience it in, in an unfiltered way you know the chemistry between these two actors and these two characters is written i think that's kind of when the film works the best yeah i would agree i would also note that you know because before sunrise necessarily kind of takes place outside of the world you know as i as i said previously like outside of these two people's lives in between places they don't talk about their jobs they don't talk about their much about their friends or family or or lives or dog you know they they talk about these big abstractions uh what would you do if or what would happen on a a island with 99 men and one woman uh, they, they talk about the genders and they talk about uh, just sort of broad ideas about art. Or they talk about the people around them. In Rye Lane, they get they're in the same city. You know, it, it does actually matter. Their their real lives actually matter. And they go straight they know to a lot of the same people. Yeah. To, yeah. yeah. They they all have connections and they're connected into into this place and they go straight to like, what do you do for a living? Let's talk about our jobs. Uh, you know, who do you know here and how do you know them? And then, you know, pretty quickly from that, let's talk about our past. Both of these movies have kind of the specter of the X hanging over like all four of these characters and the story of what was your last relationship? How did it end? What it was like? What was it like? And how broken are you as a result? 
is just like a big topic that's part of the getting to know you process in all cases, because all of these people are navigating new attraction and trying to figure out what the immediate blockage is to it. Is it you already have a girlfriend? No. Is it are you so hung up on that girlfriend that there's no chance of a relationship? Maybe. So these are the questions that they they, they all have in common that they have to ask because the people out of time in uh, Before Sunrise, their jobs don't matter. Their their real lives don't matter. But, you know, if, these, if they're going to get together, the exes matter, the relationships matter. And in Rye Lane, there's less of that sense of like abstract removal, but it, they, it is still the one thing they have in common. Like, who are you with and is there space for me in your life? Just again, as a kind of a point of contrast, as far as this connection goes in before sunrise, like the it takes them a long time to acknowledge the the ex in the room, specifically Jesse's and the the whole reason he's there, you know, and he like, he feels embarrassed that he didn't own up to it sooner, you know, and you know, that can just be chalked up to it's not the shape their conversation took, I guess. But in the case of Ryan Lane, like it is more or less the inciting incident of, of their relationship. And it kind of like provides the whole shape of the movie as far as them like each reckoning with their respective ex. And in Before Sunrise, it's it's much more backgrounded, you know, like it's still obviously important to their relationship that they acknowledge this, but they drag their feet to get there. I feel like something that all four of them are very aware of is that the fact that they were in relationships that dissolved could potentially look bad, you know, could potentially feel like a barrier. How if somebody else found me like unlovable and I admit to that, am I admitting to being unlovable in a way that might stop you from loving me? But it's more of a specter for Jesse and Celine and less at the same time because, you know, it it hangs heavily over his head in particular. But that girl is in Madrid and Celine is never going to meet her. Uh, Her ex is in Paris and he's never going to meet him. Dom's ex is just up the road and he's literally on his way to meet her. And, you know, Yaz jumps in and meets her before she even really knows all that much about who Dom is. The, The fact that they're in their own their own towns, basically, means it's not an abstract. It's not a. um a rhetorical question it's if we start dating am i going to have to deal with your girlfriend showing up all the time at your place to to borrow spoons i think it still kind of gets to this thing in, in both movies and with relationships too about the performances that people put on when when they're first meeting each other you know because he you know i mean this is not you know jesse's reason for coming to europe and everything that's happened to him uh that's nothing he wants to put you know up up front <laughs> at yeah. all um and, and you know and and yaz has that you know kind of has that lie at the be- beginning because that's she doesn't want she doesn't want to feel like she's you know disempowered and and, and uncool you know be, be, she doesn't want to be the you know the, the the sort of the weepy dumpy that that uh that Dom has presented himself as being, she gets can reinvent herself as some, something else, um, and, and so and you know, and then and then it makes it more more meaningful later in the film when when they can kind of finally reveal themselves a little bit more. Um, you know, it kind of increases that sense of 
intimacy between them though though again you know the <laughs> problem with Rye Lane is that is that it's got it's got all the it's got all the rom-com stuff that kind of keeps it from feeling as intimate as it should but uh that's kind of the intended effect i think i really need you to stop using rom-com as a derogatory term, <laughs> i'm sorry I did, well i know it's a it's a it's an allergy it's an allergy but some are better than others you realize you, you, scott we haven't talked about the nancy myers movie being canceled are you oh. are you doing okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I'll be fine. I, I don't know. I, it's wild to me that like, what was it like 130 million wasn't enough yeah. or something? They wanted 150 million. Those kitchens are, I, are uh, they, they need a lot of. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. I get That's the allergy. I, I've had a, a long time allergy to rom-coms myself, but I feel like as, uh, as, as Keith pointed out, maybe it's just been long enough since I've had one uh, that I like, I don't have the <laughs> yeah. antibodies anymore. That's I did watch like, you know, Ticket to Paradise. And my first thought was like, do these people, what world are these people? <laughs> what do they exist in? I mean, what, what, like the anti-reality of that, of, of the rom-com is so striking when you, when you haven't experienced it in a while. It's like, really? We're just, you know, and it married me was that way too. It's like, she's sitting, she's just like watching Jimmy Fallon monologues live to see what he's saying about her. Like who the hell does that? I, I need a much um, more plausible that, world uh, for, for my movies, like the world of uh, John wick perhaps, or, or, uh, <laughs> well, but or I mean, Creed this is, three the, for that matter. Yeah. But those are, these are not, Oh God. All right. What is this? What, what are we? What are we doing here? We're we're talking to, in order to find out more about you, so that we can kind of uncover like all of the lies that you're telling yourself. We're trying to get past the artifice of how you present yourself as someone who hates rom coms. In this and little figure out what is driving that that we've created, kind of outside time. We're getting to know each other better through conversation. Oh boy, John Wick. I don't know. I don't get it. Well, that's going to, I think that's going to conclude our discussion of uh, John Wick 4 and a couple of other movies about people walking around uh, making important decisions with their lives. John Wick 4 <laughs> is currently in theaters. Uh, Before Sunrise is streaming on HBO Max and is available to rent through all the usual services. Rye Lane is streaming exclusively on Hulu at the moment. it's time to recommend a film or film-related item that complements this set of episodes. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes that it'll put some interesting choices on your radar. Uh, we debated a whole bunch about what to do with this segment. We thought about picking a single Richard Linklater film to discuss. We talked about just recommending the other two before movies. We ended up in a sort of general melange of conversations about uh, Richard Linklater's career and all of his uh, his interesting movies and underseen movies. And we were going to have just have that freeform discussion. But at the last moment, Based on all of our uh, ragging viciously and mercilessly on Scott for his attitude about rom-coms, we decided to talk about good rom-coms. Uh, Genevieve, you're you're probably the leader of the pack as far as uh, <laughs> recommending rom-coms. What do you want to recommend? I mean, I almost don't want to recommend this because I'm almost sure I've talked about it on this show at some point before, but I, but uh, I, don't, I don't care. I'll take any uh, opportunity to recommend uh, What If, the 2013 romantic comedy uh, originally known as The F Word, uh, starring 
recently uh, post Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan, uh, as well as Adam Driver and Mackenzie Davis, kind of a really fun cast uh, mm-hmm. of people that you, at least I wouldn't like normally associate uh, with rom-coms first, first and foremost. And I mean, it's a pretty unremarkable story. You know, it's sort of like friends who want to be more but can't quite make it happen until they do kind of vibe. But it's just uh, the chemistry between Radcliffe and Kazan is just like, it feels so natural and kind of revelatory for both of those actors. Maybe, maybe a little as Zoe Kazan, but I just remember this being the moment that, uh, you know, pre-farting corpse movie when it was like, oh, Daniel Radcliffe is more than Harry Potter, you know? Um, and it just like, it, uh, I don't regret that the, this isn't the career, the direction his career went in, because I think his career actually has turned out to be very interesting. But uh, it does kind of make you wonder, uh, what if, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if, it, if it had gone this way, because I think he, he carries it really well. But you don't get um, so mad you that you use the F word to describe how you feel. About career, exactly. Right? Yeah, okay. Exactly. I, exactly. I, yeah. I, I personally think I, I love the other couple in this film even more. I love that Adam Driver Adam and Kenzie Davis yeah. are, ter- are terrific together. Exactly. It's like, Oh, make yeah. another, make, make a movie around th- those two as well. Cause they're so, I love, I've always, I, I, I'm all, you know, I'm a fan of the, the, those actors are terrific. And it's such a nice early glimpse of how good those two, they, they are both together and apart. Yeah, it's a, I, I, he stole a, he took a good one. From, <laughs> also table, music by AC Newman. So hmm. oh, a little yeah, bonus there. Yeah. Can, uh, it's very Canadian. It's Canadian. It's a Canadian uh, film. You're it's right. A, it yeah. is a Canadian film, so that checks out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should also point out that we put a limitation on everybody here. We we set the parameters as uh, modern rom coms, basically to prevent us all from just sitting here talking about uh, the great screwball comedies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know indicating that no good rom-coms had been made since like i don't know 1946 or so so uh we're we're just talking about modern movies uh just uh real quick if you have not seen what if uh and if you have showtime it is currently streaming there and is uh also rentable via the usual services so uh, yeah, Scott. What about you? Give us, give us a rom com you can stomach, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> it was a struggle, I have to say. I I struggled so badly. We I think we took when we decided on this topic. We were like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? What am I gonna do? You know, I was we were scrolling through vulture lists and ringer lists and things like that just to try to find something that was acceptable. And there are acceptable ones. There are perfectly fine ones out there. Things I like. I like definitely maybe. I think it's a nice nice one. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, not Notting Hill of course is quite good but i think that's a little bit too we did it on uh, this podcast or over yeah yeah a classic right so mm-hmm. if it's, it's it also be, 1999 you know, be, so uh much like uh, 10 too, things i hate about early. you so which I, is I what came to my mind of, it's uh ineligible i feel <laughs> like in the in the aughts uh that uh you know the, the sort of the judd apatow machine had some nice moments in with romantic comedies not always you know imperfect films for sure but films that that kind of mixed the 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 raunchy and the the sweet quite well and had a lot of appealing performances and i think one of the one of the better examples of this one for me is uh forgetting sarah marshall uh which jason siegel wrote and nicholas uh, uh stoller directed and uh it stars uh siegel as a as a uh composer whose actress girlfriend played by Kristen bell breaks up with him and uh right before i guess they're going to take a trip 
and they he takes he ends up taking that trip anyway and and running into his ex and and uh the dope that she's hooked up with played by russell brand and um he ends up um kind of falling for a local who sort of works at the resort uh played by uh, Maya kunis it is a uh, I, I think there's there there is one scene i think uh in the film that is incredibly almost unforgivably cruel to the Kristen bell character but but uh, on balance uh, it's a very funny and uh, sweet film about an extremely awkward situation and uh, that, that's appealing to look at and uh, has a lot of really fine star turns. Um, it's got a vampire musical in it, <laughs> uh, which I enjoyed. And, uh, and, and kind of... It's I, got I full it's, frontal Jason Siegel. When, it, when he exactly. said uh, appealing is, to look at, that is immediately where my mind went. <laughs> yeah, no, full frontal. And I, but I mean, that's, that, is, that is the Jason Siegel I remember from Freaks and Geeks of just like exposed quite literally Waglet in this case but, but but just kind of just willing to put himself in that uh, position of 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 uh of being as vulnerable as a person could be um i i so i i enjoy that about it so i i think it's a it's one that's kind of you know flawed but kind of has stood the test of time in certain in other ways as well and it still kind of holds its appeal so uh and it's on it's on peacock if you're if you're a peacock subscriber <laughs> Which I am not, but uh, I should be. I'm largely yeah, a fan on of uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. I have a really hard time getting over the degree to which uh, Mila Kunis is. Uh, she's she's kind of what the man almost always is in conventional rom coms. She's just kind of pretty and bland and not a person for the most part. And the idea that he comes to this resort that he's uh, not really equipped to be at. And that one of the staff members just decides to like emotionally and sexually rehabilitate him. And it's Mila Kunis. I, I find it even more difficult to buy than the average rom-com. But forgetting Sarah Marshall kind of mostly gets a pass from me for the really, really charming songs. Uh, the, there's a moment late in the film where Siegel is alone at home trying to write his vampire musical. And he just starts singing this song about how he needs to go to therapy. And he's arguing with himself while like banging out this song on the piano. That's just one of my favorite musical moments in, in cinema, period. I, I go back to it on YouTube quite often because that experience of i'm so sick of myself and i'm over myself but i still feel the feelings that i feel but i want to do something about it but no no i don't maybe a little too relatable um and the fact that it's in this really catchy musical form i i really love that i like his vampire musical songs too men would literally write a musical about not going to therapy rather than going to therapy is that what you're saying Oh, uh, Keith, I, 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 I think, I think half of uh, half of the films uh, that we're talking about here are from the same filmmaker. Yep. Right. Yeah. I also have Nicholas Stoller. I, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back all the way back to last year to a film called Bros, <laughs> uh, which was uh, it's uh, a rom com uh, co-written by Billy Eichner and Nicholas Stoller. Stoller directs. And it is, it's kind of a, you know, it, it is in an Apatel mode. It's, you know, he's, it's from his production company as well, where it's, where it's, you know, unwieldy and shaggy and digressive. Uh, and there's scenes, there's scenes I would just pluck out of this movie and you wouldn't, you know, you couldn't lose anything at all. But, but I really liked it too. It, it, it's really, uh, it, it is, you know, Eichner plays uh, a gay man in New York who, you know, does not 
have any intention of, of settling down. Uh, it's, it, but hey, it's a rom-com. Uh, he actually, he falls in love and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty frank about, you know, the gay dating scene. It's, it's pretty, uh, it, it does not try to tone things down for mainstream, uh, audiences, uh, that maybe perhaps why the mainstream audiences re- re- rejected it. It was not a success, you know, successful film financially, but, uh, you know, there's, there's some really funny stuff in it. I think Eichner really comes off, uh, does a really great dramatic performance in moments in this in this film that which i was not expecting at all um and uh but so you know i i think it i hope it finds a broader audience uh on streaming and at home than it did in in theaters uh because uh it's 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 uh you know give it a chance i i would say it it is currently streaming on peacock i know it's coming to prime because i just wrote a preview for it for uh for the rolling stone previews i write uh so you know i i'm really kind of um i guess i'm not surprised but disappointed it didn't have more of an impact than it did anybody else see it no, I, I know. I And I, I wanted to see it. I did see Fire Island, which is like kind of the other film that all, that like kept getting brought up in relation to bros uh, during its, its theatrical run because Eichner was making a lot of noises about it being the first gay rom-com when Fire Island had come out a, a few months prior. So they like, kept having required, to add like, like d- yeah, disclaimers like from a major studio. Yeah. 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 So like, I definitely, I, I like maybe absorbed the sort of vague annoyance around that conversation more than I should have. And it, it kind of stalled my uh, excitement to see bros, but uh, I, I appreciate the reminder that it is easily accessible on streaming now because I will definitely rectify that sooner rather than later. Fire Island's fine too, but a little too beholden to its Jane Austen trappings, in my opinion. Yeah, I've seen that one yet. It looked, it looked, it looked good. That's on. That's a that was a Hulu thing, right? Correct. Correct. And according to my cousin, who I know listens to this podcast, also a little too beholden to the idea that young, like well-off, uh, incredibly handsome, incredibly well put together gay men are just far too nerdy to be acceptable. Uh, you know, far mm-hmm. too unattractive to be acceptable to other gay men. Uh, you know, they the apparently enough of it kind of revolves around uh, we're we're just not acceptable that and it sound it really sounds hard to believe. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, I don't want this to turn into a discussion on on Fire Island, but I I, I will just point out that there is an element of Asian Americanness in that uh, per- perception as far as the gay dating scene. So yes, but I guess uh, as far as that that critique goes. But uh, Tasha, bring us home. What's your romantic comedy? Well, speaking of uh, speaking of the Asian dating scene, Crazy Rich Asians came to my mind as huh. I, I mean, does it? It's it feels more of a comedy vein uh, than a dramedy vein to me. But it's very light and very frothy and and very big and very pretty. That one was on my list. I recently watched Lost City, uh, which is yeah, almost- that's fun. A deconstruction of rom-coms. It's it's very, very aware of romancing the stone and living in that space. I enjoy Isn't It Romantic, which is straight up a deconstruction slash uh, satire of rom-coms. I I feel like there are generally a few out there, but the one that I'm really going to stump for uh, is Palm Springs, which is, you know, very, very high concept uh, rom-com. Andy Samberg and uh, Kristen Milioti. 
I, if you haven't already seen it, uh, I don't want to spoil it because I got to see this movie at a, um, at Sundance, in fact, before it was out and went into it deliberately blank and got some really delightful surprises. But, you know, we'll, we'll just say if Scott's problem with rom-coms is that they're too contrived, uh, this one, this one has a lot of, uh, very contrived elements to it, but it's also part of, I mean, a, we did, we did a whole pairing on it. Watch the movies that I mean, we it's recommend. Just a, it's a weird thing that became like a genre. Also, but, it was but, a, uh, a freaking three years ago at this point. The, so you yeah. saw it in a physical space. You saw it at Sundance, like virtually. No, or I saw it in, at in, real actual sitting in a theater. That, Sundance. That was, that was one where the, uh, it straddled the, uh, beginning of pandemic and quarantine. Uh, oh, so right. maybe, maybe that's, that's why right. you, you, you don't, you don't remember in, the, the episode in January and then yeah. it was on Hulu, I think. Yeah. That was yeah. definitely a much needed piece of, of fun entertainment in the middle of lockdown. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Just because we do a podcast doesn't mean everybody's love watched it. I honestly, yeah. I, I feel like to not know the gimmick of Palm Springs at this point, especially as a listener of this podcast, would be odd. But, you know, if there's that one person out there that can have the experience I do of discovering this movie in the moment, uh, I encourage it because it's fun. I like discovering movies without knowing, like, what the big twists are. So, regardless. Well, leap out the reference I made to that, to the film that it rips off. <laughs> <laughs> regardless and don't look through our back catalog yeah <laughs> this is a movie that's very aware of the the genre that came before it it's very aware of uh past movies in this exact same space and it's very de- devil may care about the whole thing it's it's kind of deconstructing other movies in both the rom-com space and its particular uh, subgenre, and I just I want people to to have that experience if they possibly can. But I just I think it's pretty sharp and it's pretty um, edgy is the wrong word, but uh, you know prickly, irreverent, yeah. <laughs> all of these things. These are all very good words, guys. I, I get the impression that y'all like Palm Springs. Oh yeah. Don't try to think, Tosh. I think maybe you weren't on that episode because Emily St. James joined us for for that one. So maybe you couldn't make it to that one for whatever reason. It's always possible. Maybe I was uh, terribly ill because I went to Sundance in person that year in early 2020. (laughs) We were were all in quarantine. We were all healthy. We never had no interactions interactions with other humans. (laughs) Well, regardless, Palm Springs. uh, It's streaming on Hulu. It's uh, readily available if you happen to have that service. And that would be my recommendation for a good post-2000 rom-com. That's it for this edition of the next picture show but we'll be back next week with another set of episodes uh scott can you tell us about the episodes dropping on april 18th and 25th week after week our listeners keep asking us why is there so little jay moore on the podcast and now finally we can give you more than you bargained for Moore has a bit part as a shoe executive in air the new film by ben affleck about sonny vaccaro a Nike scout who persuaded the company to gamble its entire basketball budget on a single client, the number three pick in the 1984 NBA draft, a guy by the name of Michael Jordan. Affleck's decision to cast Moore was surely a nod to Moore's performance as an underhanded sports agent in Cameron Crowe's 1996 romantic drama, Jerry Maguire. Much like Matt Damon's Vaccaro in Air, 
Tom Cruise's Jerry Maguire stakes his entire career on a single client. In this case, an undersized wide receiver played by Oscar winner Cuba Gooding Jr. Renee Zellweger co-stars as a single mother who's inspired by Jerry's idealism and agrees to leave a big-time sports agency with him after Moore's character fires him. So please join us for this pairing about sports business visionaries who fight for the ultimate prize, sticking it to Jay Moore. For now, we welcome your feedback on Before Sunrise, Rye Lane, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net or leave us a voicemail at 773-234-9730. Before we close out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Genevieve, it's been a little while since you've been here to deliver this spiel for yourself. Let's start with you. Vulture, TV editor, Twitter, at Genevieve Kosky. Scott? Boy, that's a, <laughs> wow. that's a hell of a that's very, that's, very, that's very parasite-like there. <laughs> Holy moly. Uh, I... I was going to kind of ramble a bit on that, but yeah, I, uh, no, I, I I'm just, I'm my, a, mine never changes. You guys I'm do, you guys do fun and new things every, every week. Mine, we? I always stay the same. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Tobias. Uh, and, uh, you can find my work at, uh, New York times vulture guardian and other fine publications. You can also find me almost primarily, uh, at the reveal, the newsletter I do, uh, with Keith, that's uh, thereveal.substack.com. We always have a lot of fun stuff happening there. Tasha? Polygon.com. <laughs> Tasha <laughs> Robinson at twitter.com. I, 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 feel, I feel a little uh, like I shouldn't oh. like blow this out to uh, gigantic proportions. I, I, but Tasha, you like occasionally like actually write things or interview people I at your job. So you should talk do. about that. I, I talked to the director of John Wick. I talked to the, the directors of the D&D movie. And recently I wrote an essay that uh, mega blew up about uh, Cabin in the Woods and how it works with Knock at the Cabin as a double feature. So yeah, I'm out there totally writing about film <laughs> it's and- like an episode of the next picture show but except in print form <laughs> and also i believe a pairing that you really stumped for that we didn't do for reasons <laughs> that uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah timing related reasons i think more than anything yeah. uh yeah i i really wanted to do the knock at the cabin the cabin in the woods pairings but it just did not work out for timing reasons so instead i uh i wrote a piece that a, a lot of people are reading, uh, which has been very exciting. So really enjoying that. Uh, Keith, you want to close us out? Sure. I mean, as Scott mentioned, there's the, the reveal at thereveal.substack.com. And well, I do a lot of writing there and, and hanging out with my pal, Scott Tobias, who you might know from this podcast. Uh, we're currently working our way through the Sight and Sound 100 as an ongoing project and other fun stuff. But I also, I'm a freelance writer. I'm, you can find my find me on Twitter at kfips3000. You can find my work at places like GQ and Vulture and The Ringer and TV Guide and other places too. Rolling Stone? Yeah, I do the previews for Rolling Stone. It's exciting stuff. Um, <laughs> it's the most rock and roll uh, assignment I have. No, I, 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 do, I do enjoy doing that. Um, all, right, all right. What what else? I think it's all you need to know about me. I'm going to end it there. <laughs> well, here are a few more things you need to know. You can stay updated on the Next Picture Show at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at nextpicturepod. You can get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And as always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan, the Bake Jakes, for his assistance in producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the Film Spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. <laughs>